Thank you very much, Holly, for ministering in music. We interact with Mark chapter 1 this morning. A thought question, you don't need to respond out loud. But have you ever experienced what I will call raw evil? Have you ever experienced raw evil? A couple things that I have experienced in the years that I would call raw evil over the years was that at times in talking to people and counseling people, the issue of generational sins in a sexual realm has come up. And to try to deal with that and respond to some of that and to see just the grip that that gets in life, I see that as just raw evil. Years ago, I had a funeral where a young person was killed in a tragic accident. And I went to the funeral, one of the first that I had in my ministry. And as I conducted the funeral, I thought, I don't think there's anyone here today that has any hope. And after the funeral, there was the opportunity to go to the front and pay the last respects. And it was an open casket. And the hopelessness, the despair. I thought that's just evil, not the despair, but the emptiness because of sin and no hope in Christ. I have observed children being told by mom and dad, a child or a teenager being told by mom and dad to do something, and the child will look at mom and dad and say, no. evil. Let me pose the next que- another question. Have you ever experienced raw evil? Being humbled by God. I mentioned earlier about generational sexual sins. I've seen that be tamed, that humble. God humbles that. God breaks that. The family that I mentioned, I was able to share with them concerning Christ and interact some with them beyond the funeral. And some of them came to a relationship with Christ. Despair changed to hope. I've seen children who have been very rebellious, teenagers who have been very rebellious, move from no to yes, dad. Yes, Mom. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. Christ is being confronted with evil in this passage, as he will be confronted with evil in numerous passages. Mark chapter 1, begin reading with verse 21, reading through verse 28. Mark 1, 21 through 28. <clears throat> Mark chapter 1 and verse 21. They, that's Jesus and at least the four that he had called to follow him, they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, 
said Jesus sternly. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all amazed that they asked each other, News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As we interact with this passage, keep in mind that I've been emphasizing, as is emphasized in Mark, who Jesus is. And his character in his being, he's intimately related. I'm sorry, he's unique, one of a kind. He is the good news. He's God's son clearly stated. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He has a Father who is pleased with him. He is yielded to God's Spirit. He is able to resist the enemy, Satan. He is intimately related to the kingdom of God being near. He has the authority and the character to call people to follow him, and they follow him. And he teaches with authority. Critical to Mark is keeping in mind over and over again Jesus and who he is. Last week we found that Jesus is in Capernaum. On the Sabbath day, be Saturday, he went into the synagogue, a Jewish place of teaching, worship and for the Jews, and he began to teach. And we find that the or we found that the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one having authority. And remember, the word amazed means to strike out of one's wits. Panic, shock, thunderstruck. They're hearing teaching in a manner that had not been taught before. And we contrasted the teaching of the teachers of the law and the teaching of Jesus last weekend found why they were amazed. The text goes on in verse 23, just then. That is, as Jesus is teaching, as the people are responding to Jesus' teaching in amazement, just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Now notice, just then, a man who is in their synagogue, the synagogue of the Jewish people, of the teachers of the law, and he is possessed by an evil spirit. Here we have two kingdoms that are coming into conflict with one another. In verse 15, Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. And believe the good news. Here we have Christ. The kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. In verses 12 and 13. Of chapter 1. At once the spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days. Being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals. And angels attended him. Two conflicts. Or two kingdoms in conflict. Christ. The kingdom of God. And the enemy, Satan. And it clearly states in the text, this man was possessed by an evil spirit. 
This is taking place in a public setting. The confrontation almost seems to be the choice of the kingdom of darkness. The conflict is coming to Jesus. He's in the temple. But the man is about to cry out. Notice what the man cries out. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now I want you to notice something in the text, and we won't elaborate too much on it this morning. But the text says, just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit, possessed by an evil spirit, but then the spirit cries out, what do you want with us? Plural. A man possessed by an evil spirit cries out, and as he cries, what do you want with us? Apparently, more than one demon, if you want to use that term, involved. And we will find he encounters those types of things in the future, and we'll come at more on the future. But the man cries out, what do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, from what I could find in studying the text and the culture in that day, the question, have you come to destroy us? And also the assertion of Jesus of Nazareth, You are the Holy One of God. Was a defiant assertion. Were the man possessed by the evil spirit is seeking an attempt to appease, to bring Christ into submission. The widespread belief was that if you can use someone's name, you have mastery or control over the other person. So here is a man crying out, what do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And you know, to some extent, we still use that at times in our culture. You know, when something is really not going well, we'll use someone's name. Samantha Joe Lindley, mom and dad may say. Randy Todd Yeager. You know you're in trouble then. Jason Lowell Brubaker. (coughs) Jarrett Thomas Brubaker. You know, we use a full name. Look, I'm the authority here. And some of that was present at that time. So what's the evil spirit crying out? Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. What is the response of Jesus? Be quiet. 
Be quiet means be muzzled. Have a dog, you put a muzzle on. Be quiet. Jesus doesn't interact with him at all, just commands. Be quiet. And then says, come out of him. Just a very direct statement, a very direct command. Jesus had authority. In no way does he yield any ground to the evil spirit, but commands the evil spirit to come out. What happens? The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Jesus spoke. The evil spirit responded. The kingdom of God and the authority of Christ showed who he was. What is the response of the people? They're amazed. If you please, they're struck out of their wits. They're panicking. They're shocked. They're thunderstruck. Did you see that? That evil spirit came out of the guy. You will find a number of times throughout the Gospel of Mark that Jesus amazes people. They didn't know how to respond. They're amazed. Why? What is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits. And they obey him. They saw authority, power, rule, dominion. Christ's authority, which came from who he was. It occurs nine times in Mark. Six times referring to Jesus himself. Three times referring to the authority that the the disciples received from Christ. Jesus is displaying power, rule, authority, jurisdiction over what? The spirit world. And they're amazed and they think, you know, what is this? A new teaching? And with authority? You know, sometimes today we hear things about teachings that are going around and sometimes there's a service that there's healing. And I'm not out to comment beyond it, on, upon them beyond this point. Suppose there is a person there that is paralyzed. And they actually got up and walked out of the place. They've been paralyzed for 30 years. People probably would go, wow! Jesus simply said, be quiet, come out of him. And they're amazed. And as happens at any point in time, news about him spread quickly over the whole region. News travels today. News traveled then. Why? Because of Jesus' teaching and Jesus' healing. Now I have a question. What did Simon, Andrew, James, and John experience? 
They're with him. They heard him teach. They experienced him casting out. The uh, evil spirit. They saw teaching which sprang from the being of Jesus. He taught as a th- one with authority. They saw Jesus display authority over an evil spirit. What's the point of the passage, 21 through 28? To demonstrate, through teaching with authority and quite in an evil spirit, that Jesus is who who he is presented to be in chapter 1. 1 through 20. The action confirms his identity. As we think about this passage, a couple thoughts as it relates to our lives, living out scripture, walking with Christ day by day. Jesus Christ is victorious over the kingdom of darkness. Live daily in light of this reality. We don't need to live in fear of Satan. We don't need to live in fear of demons. Christ has authority over them, and he has conquered the kingdom of darkness. Take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. And let's pick up with reading in verse 18. As Paul prays, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, that is the glorious inheritance that God has in his saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power that is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, in every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. He's talking about the power, and he says in verse 21, that is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And as you look at the book of Ephesians, you'll find that he is talking about the spirit world. Christ has been raised with a power that is far beyond that of the spirit world, the evil spirit world. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than Aaron. Christ is better than the prophets and so on. Hebrews 2 and verse 14. Speaking of Christ, taking upon himself human form. Verse 14 of Hebrews 2, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, 
and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Christ, sharing in humanity that he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who lived in fear, or slavery of fear of death. Jesus said to the spirit, be quiet, come out of the man. Ultimately on the cross, he conquered the spirit world. The victory has been won. We don't need to live in fear of the enemy because we're in Christ. Another application. As we focus on Jesus Christ and Scripture and our teaching, evil will be confronted. Expect some resistance at times. Resistance will come because our focus is not on methods, forms, structures, music, programs, but Jesus Christ. The enemy cares little about methods, forms, and seating. But Jesus Christ and Scripture, when they're central, that makes a difference. As you read the Gospel of Mark, as we discuss Mark 1, 21 through 28, who is central? Jesus Christ. We're tempted in modern-day America as churches to focus on seating. God is concerned about what? Relationships. Churches may be tempted to focus on music styles. God is concerned about heart attitude in the worship. A local church may focus on ministry styles. God is concerned about, Jesus is concerned about people with people in life. Local churches may be concerned about methods. Jesus is concerned about believers who love God. Churches may be overly consumed with children and teen ministries. God is concerned about parents, marriages, older and younger, and their relationships. A church may be concerned about what it does. God is concerned about believers being freedom and trust in Christ. A local church may be concerned about the length of service. So if I went to noon today, many of you by then would have looked at your clocks quite often. And I say, well, we're only going to 2 o'clock today. God is concerned about worship that God accepts. I'm not going to 2 o'clock, by the way. Don't worry. Speakers. We may be concerned about who speaks. God is concerned about believers 24-7 being godly. (coughs) Another application in light of Mark 1. Beware of drifting from Jesus Christ and scriptures. So many modern books and speakers and just there's all kinds of things available today that may say so little about Jesus, 
and so little about Jesus Christ or uh, Scripture. We think if we got this speaker, if we got this music group, if we got this book, if we have this method, things are going to be fine. And you have to use some method, some speaker, and so on. That's not that they're all wrong. But Jesus Christ, Scripture being central. I can assure you, as a local body of believers, whether we have benches without backs on them that are orange, or whether we have pews or whether we have chairs, people aren't going to come into our church and say, my, what a beautiful sanctuary, I want to be saved. But they will come among us, whether it be one-on-one, when we gather, or they observe you as a couple, they observe you as a family, and they'll say, There's something different about them. What is it? And the answer is going to be Jesus. So if they have to sit on the floor when they come together with believers, that's okay. Because I'm concerned about Jesus. And as you read the book of Mark, the whole focus is on Jesus. Another possible application. Let's go to the turf of other people. People we want to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go to their turf. I find it interesting that Jesus went into the temple. He's on their turf. And you will find throughout the gospel of Mark and the other gospels that Jesus is so frequently going to the turf of other people to minister to them, to interact to them, to have a relationship with them. So let's not expect unbelievers to come to our turf and then we'll tell them about Jesus Christ. Let's go to the mall and just observe people And we see someone sitting over there and we go over and sit beside them and strike up a conversation and you get talking about all kinds of things. And maybe you lead the conversation around to, you know, what's happening in our world today? Or maybe they bring something up. You're in their turf. You're on the job. And that co-worker is bemoaning a marital problem, bemoaning a problem with their children. And you just love them. And you respond to them. And you talk to them. That's their turf. We don't do this much in our culture today, and I understand that, but maybe we need to do more of it. Every now and then, take a walk through your neighborhood. And anyone you see out, stop in and just chat with them. Not with an intent that you're going to tell them all about Jesus Christ that night. But you're going to talk to them in their turf. Jesus repeatedly goes to the turf of other people to reach them. We all have turf every week. That probably, at least at points in times, involves unbelievers. Minister to them. Just love them. Another possible application. One of the most effective means of teaching 
training others is by being with the teacher. So much of our teaching in the Christian circles today is the opposite of this reality in Christ's life. We have Sunday school for an hour. I'm not saying that's wrong. We have Iwana. We didn't have teens. You can have other things. But seeing life lived out is so vital and so very, very important. Some of the most valuable lessons I learned in walking with God was by being with people, namely dad and mom. There's a pastor in Tennessee, Nolan Roach. I had mentioned him at times in the past. I learned a tremendous amount from him by just being with him. He'd say, oh, come on over, Dan and Ruth, and you don't know any family in the area. No, we'd go over to his house sometimes. We would sit and we would just talk. We would do some things together. Just being with people. In day by day living. At times, the world system pulls families and believers apart. Our world system, the body of Christ, can pull us apart from being with other believers. Remember, families are the primary means for discipling future generations. Do we need to make changes in our life, in our styles, so that we can be with each other more? Some opportunities just to spend time together. Parents with children, husband and wife, grandparents, children, grandchildren, Awana leaders and children, parents, maybe get together sometimes, teen leaders, children, parents, older saints and younger saints, Sunday school teachers and their students, elders and believers, VBS teachers, leaders, children, and parents, just being together in life. Jesus called Twelve men, he already called four, but he'll call the twelve, to be with him. And to preach and to cast out spirits. But being with him was so vital. Jesus didn't sit down with them in the classroom and say, now I want to teach you how to teach. They observed him teaching on the turf of other people. Now, I'm going to tell you, here's step one, step two, step three on casting out an evil spirit. First of all, make sure you're prayed up. And then you want to say, be quiet or whatever. No, they just observed him. This is Brubaker opinion as I study scripture. Beloved, We must make some changes if we are to be obedient to Christ and follow him. Merely teaching, I'm not saying we don't teach inside the four walls, but merely teaching inside the four walls is so very, very shallow, which is evident by our shallow Christianity. (coughs) 
you will find that Jesus had only a few formal teaching times with his 12 followers. And those times sprang from being on the turf of other people. Please grasp from Mark chapter 1 that we have four men who are with Jesus, who are observing him, teach, observing him, cast out an evil spirit. And they're being trained by being with him. I love to observe people. And I watch parents and kids together sometimes. And this particular example is a father and a son. A little while back, I was watching a father and a son. Watching, observing as I was talking to the father. And the father stood like this and crossed his leg, one in front of the other. And I noticed the son looked at dad He found a spot to put his elbow and put his hands together and crossed his leg. I've seen that numerous times. That's the way God made us. We learn by being with people. The disciples, the four men, are learning about Christ by just being with him. They saw him confront evil. And later on, when they're confronted with evil, they respond in kind by being with Jesus. How has the Lord spoken to you? Are you willing to say, yes, Lord, I'll apply? What to sing about God and his grace as Travis comes to lead us.